This is Are We Europe, the podcast for changing continents. We ask the small questions and get the big answers. We dive into all things European cultures and identities and bounce all over the continent. It's about the places and people that come to life in sound-rich stories, readouts from our print magazines, episodes from one of the amazing podcasts in our podcast family, or intimate behind-the-scenes interviews with our favorite storytellers and Europe's most talented creators. We got it all on this channel. It's Europe, streaming right in your ears. Are we, are we on? Are we? Are we Europe? What the truth is and how it should be told. I think there are a lot of borders to be broken. You can build it together. Community. And I believe in Josh. Open minds, open borders, openness. Try to make Europe sexy. With all sense. Sense. Are we? Are we? Are, are we, we Europe? Europe? <laughs> <laughs> what up? Are we Europe? Boom. Hi, listeners. Welcome to a series about what it means to be queer and European. My name is Annelien Opov, and I am the editor-in-chief of The Queer Issue. Every quarter, Are We Europe surprises their members with a story that pushes the boundaries of journalism, story-based recipes, interactive maps, or, as in this case, a podcast collaboration with Europe Sentiment. Produced by Letizia Chavan. I think uh, there is a lot of relationship between me being gay in Poland versus and someone being gay in Spain or in in the UK. I think we still face discrimination, and we would be if we sat down in a room. I'm sure that we all, even if we came from like very privileged families and environments, we all could speak about the homophobia that we've experienced. It's been a while since I want to produce this podcast in English or any other European languages like Spanish, Italian, or German. As this episode has only interviews in English, I thought, hey, why not give it a try and do the first episode of Europe et Sentiment in English? My name is Laetitia Chaban. I was born in Paris in September 1987. I am French and European. But why do I feel so European? Is it a feeling that I have built intimately? Is it my family and heritage? Is it because I take all the boxes? White, born of French parents, Christian, heterosexual, educated, from a rather wealthy family, living in a big city. That's when it struck me. Do you have to be white? Born of European parents, rich, Christian, educated, idly having made an Erasmus exchange, heterosexual living in a big city, to feel fully European. You are listening to Europe et Sentiment. Episode 9. Do you have to be heterosexual to be European? For the past few years, it seems that the LGBTQ rights have been evolving in Europe. There are a number of steps forward with laws in favor of same-sex marriage, fights against discrimination for LGBTQ people in the professional world, a greater visibility in the media, and at the same time, political hate discourse, especially in Poland or Hungary, discriminatory laws, and an increase in violence against openly homosexual, queer, or transgender people. 
For the past few years, it seems that the LGBTQ rights have been evolving in Europe. There are a number of steps forward, with laws in favor of same-sex marriage, fights against discrimination for LGBTQ people in the professional world, a greater visibility in the media, and at the same time, political hate discourses, especially in Poland or Hungary, discriminatory laws, and an increase in violence against openly homosexual, queer, or transgender people. So how do you build your European identity when you are gay? What role does the European Union play in the recognition and protection of LGBTQ rights in Europe? Is Europe a chance for LGBTQ people? When you start to dig into this subject, it's quite inevitable to fall on the case of Poland, a country which, at the moment, concentrates most of the articles when you type gay and Europe in Google search. So it seems like unavoidable to talk about what it is like to be homosexual in Poland today. Jarek was born in Lublin, a city in eastern Poland, to middle-class parents. He grew up between Lublin, London and the Netherlands. A few years ago, he decided to return to live in Warsaw, although he is openly gay. I had the chance to meet him and ask him what it is like to be gay in Warsaw today. It's it's a very complex issue in Poland because um, what people don't understand that Poland in 1989, like I was saying, it was uh, like 30 years ago, was a very closed country. So people lacked education and people lacked education about subjects such as uh, LGBT or like even there was no diversity. So that was also one issue that it was quite a homogeneous society at that time. And what's happening now in Poland also stems from the fact that there was no education about diversity, no education about uh, sexuality. And this is kind of backfiring now because Now is the moment where a lot of Polish people think that it's either a choice between going to the more to the east, and that's how they perceive this whole conservative movement, or going to the west, which is perceived more liberal. So this is where the country um, is kind of like stuck in. Now there is like half of the society who wants to go to the east and half of the society who wants to go to the west. But the issue with the society that is going to the east stems from the fact that people don't have access to education. And this is something that has not been addressed throughout uh, throughout the, the Polish democratic history. So, for example, in Western Europe, because a lot of people take this, uh, this uh, reference of like Eastern and Western Europe and how in Western Europe, for example, sexuality is not a taboo and Eastern Europe, there is a taboo. Whilst in Western Europe, the LGBT community was fighting for the rights. In Eastern Europe, the society was fighting for democracy. So we kind of missed these 30 years. And this is like the things that happened in Western Europe 30 years ago with the whole movement of not even LGBT rights, but women's rights. We're having kind of now. Uh, so my um, whole journey of coming out, it was... At the beginning, it was very similar to a lot of uh, my counterparts in Poland, but eventually because of my parents being op more open-minded and having 
uh, the, uh, the opportunity to live in London and experience diversity uh, were in the end accepting of my sexuality. And this is something that is very, um, for me, when I meet gay men in Poland, for example, when I date or when I have uh, gay friends, it's something that is, I would say, not that frequent. Uh, a lot of gay people here or LGBT people, they still hide their sexuality from the close family. Ja darzę wszystkich ludzi szacunkiem, ale nie pozwolę na to, by ideologizowano dzieci, bo to jest moja odpowiedzialność za Polskę i za polską młodzież. Poland was ranked by Rainbow Europe as the worst country in terms of rights for the LGBTQ community. Its ranking has continued to deteriorate in recent years, especially because of hate speech by the government and the establishment in 2019 by some local elected official of the so-called LGBT-free zone. That is to say, free zone of old LGBT ideology. This is where Jarek took the name of his project as a snub to allegation that there was an LGBT ideology worse than the communist ideology. In his project, he portrays four Polish gay, lesbian, queer and trans people who tell about their life in Poland, their coming out, the acceptance by their loved ones and society, their issues and their hopes. These testimonies of great gentleness and sincerity come out of the usual discourse of homosexuality in Poland, precisely because for Jarek, it was essential to give back a sense of humanity. Five years ago, no one was speaking about LGBT. It was not an issue. People didn't even think about the fact that LGBT would be uh, something that will um, negatively influence Poland and that it is like it's going to attack the society and destroy their Catholic values. And now the LGBT community is portrayed in the sense that they are enemies. And I'm talking about the conservative circles, that they are enemies, they try to invade, that they come with this neo-Marxist communist ideology that they try to impose. So they use a lot of these phrases that kind of the Polish society dislikes because of the history. So they try to equate the LGBT community with communism, for example. So it's like a tool for them to gain support of the society. So the the name of the project comes from the word ideologia in Polish, which means ideology. Ideologia LGBT, which means LGBT ideology in English. And this is what uh, the current government, uh, this is the disc discourse that the current government is playing. They try to portray the LGBT community as an ideology because it kind of dehumanizes us uh, in this sense that Even our president, before the May elections, in one of one of the meetings with his supporters, he said that, I quote, they try to say that they are people, but they are not people, don't believe them, they are an ideology. There is no, no such thing as LGBT ideology. Like, even if you go on Wikipedia, there is, like, no such thing as LGBT ideology. It's just a term that was invented by the current government, the ruling party, to do some spinning in the media against the LGBT community. But the reason why I actually came up with this project is because I kind of got fed up with the fact that we are speaking about this ideology, LGBT, that... Uh, I've been like even in parties people have asked me what do you think about this like you know I'm the representative of every single LGBT person in Poland and I LGBT I'm using LGBT because this is how the current government is referring to and the Polish society is not as well educated about the LGBTQ plus community as uh, Western European uh, societies. 
In Poland, this backlash is largely due to the return of Christian and Catholic values after the communist period. A bit like for women's rights. And I'd like to say that I'm very impressed by how the Polish women are committed to fight for their abortion rights this recent month. So as for women's rights, the return of its religious, moral and family values is due to the important place of the Catholic Church in society and politics in Poland. The difference is that while women's rights were more important during the communist era, it was far from being the case for gay rights. In the communist times, the church played a big role in kind of liberating Poland from the communist uh, regime. Uh, so this is also why the Polish society is closely linked to the church, because after the communist times, uh, the church was very close to the politics. So this is another thing that we don't have in Eastern Europe compared to Western Europe is the separation of power of the church from uh, politics. So a lot of my friends are shocked that if you go into a Polish public school, you would still have, you would have a cross in the classroom, for example, in all of the classrooms or in the Polish parliament, there is a cross hanging in like above the flag or I don't know where it is located, but there is a cross, Catholic uh, cross hanging uh, in the, in the church. Uh, this shows how much influence the church has uh, in Poland. Uh, and this is also why uh, one of the reasons why all these anti-LGBT uh, movements, anti-women's rights movements are taking place, because the church still wants to influence the society. Uh, and there is a lot of backlash because of this. And like you were saying, in the communist times, when it comes to women's rights, it was much better in the sense that there was a lot of equality. And even now we kind of have the aftermath of this because I was a bit shocked. Uh, for example, when I was in Western Europe, like in, in the UK or in, in the Netherlands, that something that I actually um, uh, started uh, kind of caring about is the amount of women in high positions in public service in Poland. So a lot of judges in Poland would be women, a lot of lawyers in Poland would be women, a lot of doctors in Poland would be women, whilst in Western Europe this still would be, now it's changing, but it would be considered as something like unusual to have like women judges, for example, women persecutors. But whilst in here in Poland, because of communist times, it we had a lot more women in these uh, positions. Uh, so, uh, so this is one thing. The other thing is the LGBT rights. Uh, the LGBT rights in the communist times, they were very harsh. It was very hard to be openly gay. Uh, and it could also be uh, used by the communist regime against you. Tamas is Hungarian, gay, activist, and for the past few months, a happy married man. Well, almost married, I should rather say registered, as they say in Hungary, where gay marriage is not yet legal. For several years, he has been a spokesperson for the Hatter Society, one of the oldest LGBTQ rights organizations in Hungary. While the situation is not the same as in Poland, the LGBT community has also been experiencing some backlash this past few years, particularly with the anti-gay speeches of President Orban and the Fidesz Party. I also asked him what it is like to be gay in Hungary today. Not easy. Um... I think what we see around Europe is a growing divide between Western and Northern Europe um, and Eastern Europe um, or the um, 2004 accession countries and of course the countries that uh, joined later. 
while countries in the West and in, in Northern Europe um, are progressing uh, towards full um, legal equality and also you know, social integration for LGBTQI people, unfortunately, in, um, in Eastern Central Europe, this process is a lot slower. And in some countries, it's actually a backlash. So we've seen uh, social progress before, uh, but we see now um, decrease in acceptance rates and also the adoption of legislation that, uh, that cuts, cuts back on the right of LGBTQI people and an increasingly hostile um, you know, social discourse around these issues as well. Uh, when it comes to Hungary uh, particularly, I think um, your life is a lot much easier if you're heterosexual. Even if it's not a necessary requirement, uh, your experience um, being European will be much better if you are heterosexual than if you're gay or lesbian. As I mentioned, I think um, this can be interpreted on many levels, on kind of everyday life and, and social acceptance from the primary environment of a person, whether um, he or she can come out to their parents, uh, whether they are accepted by their family members, by their colleagues, their schoolmates. Uh, in this uh, level, I think the situation in Hungary is quite bad. Uh, the majority of um, Hungarian LGBTQI people are not out um, for their, to their family or schoolmates or, or work colleagues because they are afraid that they will be discriminated or rejected. So they remain in the closet and that of course means that they, um, that they don't live an honest life. They always have to lie and keep record of to whom they lied what. And that's very difficult to maintain on the long run and um, most of the research so shows that that's very bad for the mental health of, of the person. Then uh, it can be also interpreted on the level of uh, social or political discourse. And I think it is this level that Hungary is doing the worst currently. Unfortunately, our government is very openly homophobic and transphobic. You know, just a few weeks ago, the parliament adopted uh, amendments to the constitution, uh, amendments to our adoption law that restricts the rights of uh, same-sex couples and transgender people. And, you know, it was not only the adoption of these uh, pieces of legislation, but also a year and a half long uh, communication campaign coming from leading government politicians that likened homosexuals to pedophiles, um, talked about same-sex marriage as an, ob an abomination, talked about uh, LGBTQ propaganda or how the movement is trying to homosexualize and transsexualize uh, kids, you know, all kinds of lies spread around the community. And then on the third level, it, we're talking also about legal issues and rights and protection offered by legislation. I think in that sense, in that level, Hungary is doing uh, relatively well compared to other countries in the region. I mean, we still have a registered partnership act. We have equal treatment and hate crime legislation. So, you know, on paper, it looks quite good. You know, we have to add, of course, that those um, legislations were adopted by the previous government before 2010 and not the current one. And unfortunately, um, those rights very often remain on paper. Um, so I think on these three levels, um, you know, social acceptance in everyday life, uh, political discourse and, and, and legal rights, we're doing quite bad in the country. Recently, Viktor Orban said in a radio interview, I quote, Hungary is a patient and tolerant country when it comes to homosexuality. But there is a red line that cannot be crossed. And this is how I would sum up my opinion leave our children alone. And as proof, the Hungarian parliament has passed legislation against same-sex couples. However, things have not always been like this in Hungary. 
Besides, Thomas reminds me that it was a Hungarian writer, Karl Maria Kerpeni, who at the end of the 19th century coined the word homosexual, a term that was meant to be neutral and without judgment. Hungary was one of the first European countries to recognize same-sex couples at the beginning of the 20th century. And at the end of the communist era, Budapest was the first capital of Central and Eastern Europe to host the Gay Pride. So how do you explain this turnaround, this change of mind in society? I agree that, you know, Hungary, historically speaking, was a relatively um, accepting country. And this doesn't only go back to 1989, but even earlier. I mean, probably most people don't know, but the term homosexual, uh, which was coined in the 19th century, was coined by a Hungarian gay rights activist. He coined it actually 150 years ago, uh, because at the time, um, same-sex sexual um, attraction and activity was as, uh, was labeled as as, um, as pederasty or sodomy, very negative words. And he came up with this idea that we should have a neutral word. And that's how the, the, the term homosexuality has been born. Uh, you know, Hungary decriminalized homosexuality in, in the 60s when it was still socialism. Um, you know, that we were not definitely not the first country in Europe, but, you know, earlier than, for example, Germany did it. Um, and earlier than the United Kingdom or other countries that are championing LGBTQI rights now did it. Um, Hungary had a um, um, gay or homosexual organization um, registered in, in 1988. So already before the change of the system, we had some kind of a movement in, in Hungary. And as you pointed out, uh, it was uh, Budapest that hosted the first uh, Pride March in the Eastern and Central European region in 97. And we were the second country in the world to um, have legal recognition for same-sex couples. Uh, it followed the constitutional court decision in 1995. Um, that cohabitation, so unregistered cohabitation, was opened up for same-sex couples. So, you know, Hungary was really leading, not just in Eastern Central Europe, but uh, legally speaking, um, on, on a world scale, um, LGBTQI rights. And especially if you compare to that, where we are now, the change is, is, is really, really negative. And the reason for that, I think, is, is basically that, you know, the, the Hungarian society was probably never as Um, as uh, mature as um, our laws and uh, were. So, you know, kind of we can say that, you know, the laws were more favorable than the Hungarian population. And unfortunately, when a conservative government came into power, they made use of that, that difference so that they uh, could mobilize people and spread um, further negative views on people because they could rely on this existing level of hostility or ignorance um, about this issue in the Hungarian society. Hungary and Poland joined the EU in May 2004, and Tamas and Jarek both remember it as a moment of celebration and joy. And yet, 15 years later, Hungary and Poland are both subject to legal action by the European Commission for failure to respect European values for speeches made by their respective governments. I asked them what, according to them, is the role for the European Union in the defense of their rights. Indeed, um, Hungary has, is under um, so-called Article 7 um, procedure now. So because of the violation of uh, fundamental rights, democracy, rule of law um, violations, uh, we are uh, being investigated by European institutions together with Poland. Um, you know, this goes way more broadly, broader than just LGBTQI questions, but this is also part of this um, general investigation against um, the country. 
Um, I think that this is, this is good. It is important for the European Union to insist on the values that are core um, to the operation of the European uh, Union. Uh, when we joined the EU, we joined not just an economic union, but a union of values. And few of those important values are fundamental rights, rule of law. And um, it is really interesting to see that wh while the European Union has quite a large leverage on making uh, countries follow these, uh, um, these values before they join the EU, once they are inside, the EU doesn't have much uh, power to, uh, to make countries follow those, um, those uh, values. So yes, of course, if there is a direct violation of an EU directive or other EU regulation, then uh, the EU has powers to do something. But if it is not about specific legislations, but the overall structure of the country, uh, of the judiciary, of uh, you know, independent uh, uh, mechanisms like the ombuds or the equality body or the constitutional court, about media plurality, about um, the uh, working of the electoral system, if it's not specific pieces of legislation, but overall on attack uh, on fundamental rights and, and the rule of law, then the EU doesn't know what to do. And of course, there are a lot of uh, discussions on this, on the rule of law mechanism in the new budget, etc. Because the EU is aware that, and it, you know, the past 10 years have showed uh, in the case of Hungary and uh, more recently in the case of Poland, that the existing uh, institutional solutions are not enough uh, to enforce European values. I think it is important to recognize that when the EU is doing an investigation against a, a country and against Hungary, of course, legally speaking, it is against, the, against Hungary, but it is not against Hungarian people, but against the Hungarian government and the Hungarian uh, legislator that adopted these uh, legislation. So uh, we support these investigations and we think that the EU should be more vocal on making states responsible for their commitment to uh, European values and that in the EU there is no place for a country, uh, for a government that incites hostility towards minority groups in order to gain political power. That is unacceptable when it's against LGBTQI people, when it's against Roma people, you know, the two groups that historically uh, been uh, the target in, in Eastern Europe. But it is just as unacceptable if a Western country uh, such as France or the Netherlands um, does it uh, with migrants, for example. So I think there is no place in political discussions uh, for this kind of hostility against uh, minority groups. And if a country is not abiding by these rules, then the EU should step in. There is another very important role, and that is funding. Um, my organization, Hatter Society, gets about 70% of its funding from European Union sources uh, because there are no public funding on LGBTQ issues in Hungary available at all. So the only option we have is, of course, private funding, which is very difficult in times of economic crisis, and especially in, in Eastern and Central Europe, you know, companies are not so keen on funding these issues. Of course, we can crowdsource, and that's increasingly important, but the large chunk of the money comes from the European Union and EU projects. Uh, so without the EU, um, my organizations, at least in its current form, would not exist. And so is the case for many other uh, Central and Eastern European countries and their organizations. So I think this is, this is very important, that the EU is keeping alive these organizations. Reading the press and listening to the media talking about the situation in Hungary or in Poland, I sometimes wonder if the gay community is not taken as a scapegoat or a collateral damage in a deeper confrontation and war of values between Eastern and Western Europe. But when I ask Jarek and Tamas, they're not so radical 
and remind me that it is American religious institutions that largely fund far-right religious movements in, in Europe. Besides, they don't idealize Western Europe that much. I asked them about how they compare us being part of the LGBT community in Poland versus the rest of Europe and how do they see this difference. And few of them actually replied saying that, okay, in Poland we have these issues uh, with the whole anti-LGBT propaganda and homophobia and institutional homophobia, but it doesn't mean that West is as ideal as we think it is. And I think we should not pay an overly you know, pink image of, of Western Europe either. You know, hate crimes, discrimination happens in each and every country. So I think it's important to recognize the divide, but not to over-dramatize it. Uh, because uh, just 10 or 15 years ago, um, legislation around marriage equality or um, protection of transgender rights were just as bad in Western Europe. It's just that in those countries, in the past uh, 20, 30 years, a very, really, uh, um, really, really strong progress has been made. And the, the problem is that, that that progress has not been made in Eastern Europe. But that, how, the way it was made in Western Europe, I think it can be made in Eastern Europe as well. So is it a matter of time? I was very marked by Tamas' intervention, telling me that finally the European Union has almost more influence and power to change things in countries still waiting to integrate Europe than to its member countries. And I find myself with the same question as during my research for the episode in the place of women in Europe. How is it that this is not a prerequisite to be in the European Union? And at the same time, without the European Union, LGBTQ rights organization would not exist. So is that enough? What degree of freedom should we leave to European country members? And how to allow time for society to evolve without rushing it? How to support rather than impose while still protecting the rights of people from minorities? Obviously, the answer is complex, and I hope this episode will be a first line of thought and discussion. For those who'd like to go a bit further, I recommend Jarek Ideologia LGBT website, which you will find the link to in the description associated with this episode, as well as the Borderline project published by Café Babel, a European media, which offers a new perspective on Poland. This was the first episode of Europe et Sentiment in English, and I hope that you have enjoyed it with my half-French, half-American accent. I'll try to publish new episodes in English regularly, but let me know what you think. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it, comment, and follow our pages. Take care.
Did you like listening to this story? Dive into all our readouts from this issue or previous ones, or listen to our narrative Are We Europe stories wherever you get your earful of audio right now. And don't forget, you can also become an Are We Europe member and connect with storytellers across the continent starting at €4 Euros a month. Just go to areweeurope.com member and help us build a new media for a changing continent. That's areweeurope.com member.